How are we doing this morning, Brave? It's good to see you all. Happy Labor Day weekend. I know so many of us are hopefully experiencing less labor on a holiday all about labor, but I know that there's many, many, many of us that are still laboring. Um, I was thinking about all the people that I got to see this morning at 6.30 a.m. here to worship with us, to set up this space that we can gather, that we can praise the Lord together. Um, but I'm excited because our pastor is, is helping out with a, a wedding for his family, and on a Labor Day, I'm hoping he's not laboring. And as we're still in this series, Heart for the House, it only made sense that worship would be a topic that we get to talk a little bit about. And as, as someone who's been here with Brave for since the beginning, and I get the privilege and the honor to, to lead our worship, um, it's so much more than just singing and songs on a Sunday morning. And so I wanted to give you guys a little bit of history. If I haven't gotten to meet you, my name is Andrews. I get to serve this church and this family as our worship director here at Brave. And we've been here since the, the very beginning. My family and I started when we were a little smaller, and I wanted to kind of introduce ourselves to you. That's my son, Wyatt, and my daughter, Ava, and my wife, Lindsay. Um, and we've been serving here at this church since day one. Um, ironically enough, we actually both knew Pastor Ricky. Uh, I met him when I was 19, so he goes a long way, and he still trusts me to uh, give me a mic, even after he knew me after my teenage years. Um, but our history with Brave has been so cool that as our family has grown, so has this church, and we've gotten to see so many different faces, so many different lives and stories and, and transformations of what Jesus does when his followers come together believing in him. A little bit of history that I wanted to share, on, and I can't help myself, right? I'm going to have to talk about worship, and it lines up with the direction and the things that we want for this church. But my history with worship, just to give you a little context, is my mom and I originally came over from Brazil. It was just her and I. I was like five or six years old. And like any of us, we, we sought to look out for a community, right? We found ourselves in some Brazilian communities um, around Tampa Bay area. And as you can only imagine, a mom with a single child is going to try to get that village that helps her, right? Found herself in a community of believers and people that would, would help us as we we're stepping into a new country. No English, no background, very minimal family, and we found ourselves in, in a lot of the Brazilian church communities even here in Tampa, and if you've ever been to a smaller church, you know that there's always needs, and my mom was always super involved, and I think she made it a point to like, I'm, if I'm going to do anything for my son, I'm going to get him in church, and I'm going to get him plugged in, and I'm going to keep him there to the best of my ability, which any parents in the room uh, know that's easier said than done, Amen. But if you've ever been to a small church, you know that there's lots of needs. There's always an opportunity to grow. And because my mom was always super involved with anything that the church needed, I found myself doing the same things. So as the church needed a band or needed a, 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 a musician or needed a singer, and as I started realizing I had a couple of gifts and talents in those areas, I found myself gravitating towards that. Um, my stepdad played a huge role in that. He was actually the worship leader of the church we were attending, and around the age of 12, he was trusting enough to, to put me behind a keyboard when I barely knew any notes. Um, 
But one thing that I found in a small environment is that when you say yes to, to doing something for the kingdom, God will provide you everything else. So whether I was horrible behind the keyboard, and maybe the sound guy back there was just muting me, but I was, my heart was in the right place, and I was truly trying to make an impact and, and serve in the worship team. I started evolving as, as time went on and actually found myself leading different worship teams around 15 and 16 and some other churches in the area. And, and as music became something that I anchored into and, and as God started sharing with me what worship was, I found myself leading teams and eventually I started a band um, and we got to travel across the country and we had, we played with Christian artists and we got to play all these shows and and I learned a lot from the ages of 15 to 20 about what I really where my thoughts were on worship and as as a musician and as someone who was introduced to music so early on from a family full of musicians I realized that I didn't only value music for music's sake but it took me a while to realize that it wasn't about the music for me, and it was really about what music could do for the church. So at 19 or, 19 or 20, as, as we were finishing up a different show tour from the Northeast, God really started impressing on my heart that I really didn't care much for the music. I really cared about what it could do for his church and for his people and what it could do for worship. So I decided to make a change and I started to use music and view it as more as a platform, as a tool, as a gift, as, as an expression, as something that would really benefit more God versus all of the things that it could do for me. I didn't want to chase music for music's sake any longer. I didn't want to pursue a music career. But I really saw the impacts that music could have in the church and how God used it. And I started to dive into what worship really was apart from it. So worship. What is worship? I, for a long time, I was blinded thinking that worship was just music or it was just the, the moment in, in the service that I got to lead so many parts of. And God really started to reveal what worship really was. And so going to worship in, in, in the Bible, the most common words translated in worship actually mean to kneel or to bow. It means to lay face down before someone in an act of reverence. So biblical worship was an action that was really reflecting our heart. And I thought it was interesting because it had nothing to do with music. So many of us can worship without a note have ever been strum. Where music comes in, and then I, as I was studying that, I loved, I loved this quote. I'm sure so many of us has heard where music fail, or when words fail, music speaks. Has anybody heard that? And it, does anybody agree with that? I think there's been so many times where we find ourselves music is moving. You might like a different kind of music or a different genre of music, but I think everyone has, has had moments where music has generated a feeling, an expression deep within. I can't find one other thing on this earth that moves us with absolutely no words like music. It transcends race. It transcends language, race, uh, gender. Music can penetrate places where it can, but it doesn't make it worship. As powerful and as valuable as worship or as music is, music is only most valuable when it reflects and it becomes worship, when it reflects the heart to God. 
I think the bottom line that I try to get to, and as I've learned as, as I've gotten to lead so many worship environments is, we can't allow ourselves as a church or as believers to get content just singing songs. That is not worship based on what, what the Bible says. This, listen to what Jesus says in regards to music. And, and just to kind of clear the room too, if there was anybody who's like, music is not worship at all, like music shouldn't be a part of, right? sometimes we go into environments where there's like none, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take one for the team, I'm gonna put myself out there and de- de- defend music a little bit. Music has been a gift from God and it's clear in scripture from the very beginning. It's been associated with so much of music. Let's look into Ephesians and see what it says right here. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't get content with just singing, but even as Ephesians says, it highlights that the singing came from a place of reflection. They were able to sing heart, songs from the heart because of their acknowledgement of who God was and their trust in that truth. Music is powerful and valuable as long as it fosters true worship. So Jesus had comes and finds himself in a conversation with somebody in scripture records it for us when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well and they start discussing worship. And the woman finds herself really posing questions to Jesus about how we worship, where we worship. At the time, there were people worshiping in the temples. There was people worshiping in the mountain and there was, there was separation. And this is what Jesus says to her about how to worship. He says in John four twenty three, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I highlighted must, because anytime that the Bible comes out and Jesus is like, there's a must here, it draws my attention. If Jesus is saying they must worship him in spirit and truth, then it leads us to believe that there's a wrong way to worship. If you don't have spirit and truth, then you're not worshiping based on what Jesus said. So I wanted to break down what that means, spirit and in truth. True worship must be in spirit. The God that we worship is spirit, so it has to start in our hearts and spirit. Everything has to come from our innermost being to God first. Truth means that we are, are going to align ourselves in his word. To worship is to bow before God and to delightfully follow his orders. It's to ground ourselves in his truth and his word. We cannot worship however we want and do whatever we feel like. I highlighted a, a couple of tendencies that we'll find ourselves if we don't have both. The importance is that we need both. If we have one, Let's say we have spirit without the truth. Well, that's like saying we love Jesus, but then we don't follow any of his commands. It's like we love Jesus, but we really don't love Jesus. It's lip service. It's like saying we love him, but then we don't follow anything he does. That's, that's just going with our spirit, with our feelings, with our emotions, and, and everything that we have, but then we walk away from that and we don't continue it out. To worship him in truth without the spirit then becomes legalism. 
Have you ever met a bunch of people who are really good at doing the right things, but then there's no heart behind it? They're so focused on the right things and checking off a box that they miss the whole point. That's what it feel, will feel like if we worship him in truth, but we don't have him spirit. God doesn't have our heart. We might be doing the right things, but if our hearts are not encountering the living God, then we miss the most important thing, truth in his word. And remember, the Bible teaches us that truth is not just a, um, it's not just his word. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. You can't worship a God that you don't know, and you don't know Jesus if you haven't embraced his truth of who he is. He's not just the prophet. He's not just somebody in history, but he was the living God. And, and when both of those things get married, you find ourselves in worship. So we need both worship in truth and in spirit. And this is the part that I, I really anchored into. This is why it's so, so, so important. Jesus said we must do these things. And if, and if we don't, then we're probably not in worship. And the danger in this is, did you know that it's completely possible to step into a church service, to sing songs to God with our lips, to lift our hands, but have our hearts still far from God. That is a very, very scary thought that we could be doing all of the right things and not be considered worship to our, to our Lord. Look at what Jesus said, and, and the religious leaders found themselves and this was the Pharisees, the people who were, who were leading the churches, who were leading the organizations, and they were choosing tradition. And he said this to them, these, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God himself can look into our hearts and see what our true motives are and our intentions. We could do all the things right. We could show up to church every single Sunday. We could even lift our hands and, and, and sing words from our mouths. But God looks at our heart. He's looking for not just the truth, but the spirit. He wants all of us. I thought, man, that was a tough word to hear, that God, the same people that were sitting in the room singing songs to him, using their lips, and he said that they were far. And I couldn't help but to think how many times, potentially, as I look back into my own life, have I sang the songs, but my heart wasn't over to the Lord. I was maybe just going through the motions. I think sometimes as, as followers of Jesus, we can even find ourselves in the trap of legalism where we think, well, I go to church. I show up every Sunday. I sing some of the songs. Sometimes I even lift my hands. And God can still look and say, well, your heart's not mine. At the end of the day, we're not called to come and rally to be a part of some kind of performance or participate in a big service. The bottom line that God really, really wants to is God wants a fully surrendered heart. That's where worship should ultimately lead us. One of the things I've realized with, with this filter on is that true worship is a lot harder than just showing up on a Sunday. And it, and it, it, it calls for more from us. It's not just coming in and worshiping in a moment. And, and I had this thought, some, sometimes I've, I'll be honest, of course, I'm not perfect. And I've had moments where I've sang the songs and I've gone through the motions and I've walked off the platform or I've walked out of the pew or I walked out of the church building and I felt like nothing changed. 
Everything was great in that one moment of worshiping, and, and there was a presence, and I felt it. I felt God was there, and then I walked out and went right back to my daily routine. I found myself not worshiping God in both spirit and in truth. I found myself picking one or the other. And I thought about that for our church and why it's so critical and important that we really understand that if, if anyone's going to push on the culture of worship, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be me. And I'm starting with myself. It gave me this impression and this visual of somebody who comes into church. Life is hard. We come into church and we worship the God and then we walk out. But when we come in, it's like as, it's as if we took one big deep breath. And then we walk out and we try to carry that same breath in our lungs to carry us all the way to the other Sunday. And then we wonder why when we leave this room, nothing's changed. I know that as part of so much of the vision and the things that we want to do and accomplish as a church, the biggest thing, and, and I know we take it seriously, is we want to equip people to follow Jesus. And that equipping part is so important to help us mature and to grow as believers. And I'm telling you, you will struggle if your only breath of Jesus happens on a Sunday gathering and then you try to carry that over with you to the next week. And you're going to struggle to grow and mature. It's like we wonder why we're in the same place in our relationship with God. And we're not going deeper. And we're not being more intimate. And our relationship isn't changing. And we find ourselves, man, I've been doing, I go to church. I sing the songs. I engage in worship. And then I go home and my life hasn't changed. Monday through Saturday looks exactly the same. <gasps> and it's tough. And it's hard. And I'm trying to keep myself here. Ugh, and then we drag ourselves in and we get another deep breath. And then we're back on the same routine. Church, I do not want that for you or I. Worship has to become more than just checking off of box. And coming into the house of God, taking a deep breath and then trying to carry it over into the next week. We've got to do something. So what do we do? What do we do to break ourselves out of this cycle that so many of us fall, find ourselves into? Ricky and I often find ourselves talking about worship. And one of the statements that comes from that is we're trying to lead and encourage and move us all towards worship in a culture that, that really is defined by God and his principles and his truth. And we find ourselves with this statement of creating this habit of private worship before public worship, right? We already know that God is the one who looks at the heart. And I, I will tell you quite honestly, I don't want to look into the hearts because I wouldn't want to look into mine all of the time because I'm not perfect and that is not my role. I don't, at the same time though, I don't want to become the worship leader who is content with seeing you sing, seeing you lift your hands up as if it's just edifying us on the platform. It's like you're not we would miss the point completely if the only time you ever sang, the only time you ever worshiped was because I instructed you to, or we had songs that kind of led us there. Because that won't change, and it won't do you any good once you walk out unless you carry those same lifestyle and pieces out. So we talk about private worship before public worship all of the time. And Ricky presses that onto me too, because I think as leaders, we've talked about how we've been able to step on the platform and we've been able to go off, whether it's leading us in song or delivering a message. And you can tell the difference when we walk off. And I was like, man, I, I didn't get enough time in with the Lord. 
I didn't get enough time to really seek him out. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And, and we wanted to change that. So one of the things, and, and I mentioned this to our team a lot, private worship before public worship looks like getting some time in with God outside of Sunday. How often are we singing songs, praising God, moving forward, taking actions, or even just being intentional, right? Worship is, trying to define worship and examples is kind of like trying to define love. We could have 50 different messages on love alone, but worship takes some involvement, some action, and we wanted, I wanted to really just make it practical for us and share this idea of private worship before public worship. We've got to carve out intentional time for worship. Is anybody like me and, 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 and struggles to, to find time with God? It's okay, we can be honest in church. I was like, we're here to grow, right? I was like, I, I, I've got a next steps just like every one of you. Life, work, children, spouses, organizations, there's so many things vying for our time. And we're trying to run this marathon of life with that one breath from Sunday. And we've got to change that. I was like, when it comes to, to showing someone where we stand, we, I think we would all agree actions speak louder than words, right? So I actually, I thought back on an action that I don't take a lot, but I very, very clearly remember the first time I took it. So my wife, Lindsay, and I got engaged on New Year's Eve. And at that point, a couple months before, I had already been baiting and switching her to kind of throw, throw her off my trail. Like, I was like, she's not going to find out. And if, if you've met my wife and talked to her, she's like a walking Hallmark card. She loves the holidays, and I'm going to say it, babe, don't get mad at me, but like sappy moments. So I was really intentional about trying to come up with something that would be memorable for her. She loves taking pictures. She loves making memories, but I had to keep it a secret, so... I bait and switched her for, for a couple of months out. It's kind of like when Christmas comes around and you, um, you give her a really tiny box. And you're like, here you go, babe, Merry Christmas. And you see her light up because she's expecting something big. And she opens up and it's a necklace. And she's completely defeated. <laughs> so New Year's Eve comes around and, and I knew I had a, a real engagement plan. But, but this is where actions speak louder than words. And I, and I love this story because it highlighted it so well for me. My wife, of course, I already knew. I was like, when, that, when the ball strikes or the ball drops and it's you know, the big countdown from New Year's Eve, she's going to look. Like everyone's going to kiss their significant other and she's going to look for me and I'm going to be ready. So she turns around and I drop to one knee and I propose. And I've got a picture of it. And would you believe that I never spoke one word Lindsay begins saying, yes, 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 and, and we've got friends taking pictures, and, and I'm still standing on one knee, and you can see me laughing because at this point, I've still not said anything. But what I found interesting is Lindsay knew me and knew my heart and knew my devotion to her at this point where she trusted me, and without me ever having to say anything but by the way I lived and by the actions that I took, she knew where I stood. When we think about worship and the God that we try to devote our lives to, actions speak louder than words. And worship meant to bow down, to kneel. A lot of translations say they were laid out. How many of us, if we were really to examine ourselves and our hearts, 
When was the last time that you found yourself here in worship? Completely laid out before the Lord. Not caring about what you look like. Not caring about what people will say. Only focused on the God who's given you everything. How many of us can say we found ourselves here? Or even here? I think many of us struggle to even find ourselves here. Our actions will define us and we will devote ourselves to a lot of things in this world, but, we'll, but we struggle to devote ourselves to the one who gave everything. That's the worship that God is seeking. I will tell you from personal experience, I, I knew where I was in my heart when I knelt down. And I don't kneel for a lot of things. I'm not out here Tebowing or Tim Tebowing or like the last time I think I dropped to my knee was someone got hurt in a soccer game. But you and I have all been there. When we're about to take an action, there's a process that happens in our minds. We're doing it intentionally, right? There's, there's something that happens on the inside that pushes us to respond on the outside. How many of us have found ourselves there? When was the last time that we took action and responded as followers of Jesus? That's a big question. Have we found ourselves laid out, knelt down, hands up, standing, singing, moving, doing anything that would reflect the inside decision and devotion that we have to Jesus? I know personally and firsthand that that can be hard. Even as someone who leads worship from from behind an instrument or with a microphone. I was like, we're the same. So I wanted to be practical as we are really anchoring in to, to this habit of private worship before public worship. I know that's important to me. I know it's important to, to Pastor Ricky because I could, I could never get a moment with Jesus. And just because I came up here and sang some songs really well does not mean that I worshiped. If my heart isn't in the right place, the mic doesn't give me any special powers that connects me to Jesus any more than you do. It's all about the heart. So I wanted to get some practical things. What I've learned about trying to put habits in place is we need to be intentional. So I've listed really three things that I hope to enable us in our practice of private worship before public worship. The first one is regularity. If you want to build any kind of habit, you've got to make it a regular thing. And I would say it is better if you worship five times a week for two minutes versus two times randomly in a blue moon for 30 minutes or an hour. We've got to build some regularity into the practice if we're going to intentionally choose to give Jesus our devotion. The second one is make it easy and enjoyable. I love this one because this is where I get to plug in music again. Music by itself is not worship, but it can absolutely help. It is, it is an expression that comes from inside. It is a gift from God. It moves us, and sometimes we need that nudge. And I would absolutely agree that the inside is more important than on the outside. So listen to music. Wherever you can find some time or find other things that you can do to make it enjoyable to find yourself in the presence of God. Away from your children, away from your spouse, away from your emails, away from this thing. 
I have found this destroys moments with God more than anything else. My kids could be screaming in the other room, but I'm going to pay attention to this when the moment calls and we've got to put it away. Put your phones down. Put them in a different room locked up if you can. Because I'm telling you, the moment you start trying to create habits for worship, the world is going to start knocking and they knock loud. The third one that, I was gonna, that, that would help us enable is do it over a long period of time. It takes some commitment. Anyone's ever tried to like stick to a diet plan or a workout plan? Man, it takes sometimes months for us to get into a routine where it starts feeling like, oh, this is natural. Or even better, where it becomes a priority. Where there are other things that you will say no to because, well, no, this is my time. This is my time with God. I think what helps a lot as well to make it easy and enjoyable, doing it over a long period of time, is finding a time that you can be consistent with. So that way you can commit to doing a long period of time. That a lot of times, I think for parents, that's like before the kids ever wake up or when they're down for a nap. I know that's where the season that Lindsay and I are in is like we have to get as much done. And it's like we can choose to clean the house. We can choose to go run errands. We can choose to answer emails. We can choose to work. Or we can choose to set apart some time with the Lord every single day daily. I was like, we've got to put these practical things in place so that we can create the habits that we really want. And as followers of Jesus, we really want to devote our time. So I'm asking us to commit to put these principles in place. Look at your schedule, look at your days, look at your weeks, and see where can I dedicate some time to truly worship God. So that way we really, when we come into a Sunday, it is not, finally, I got my breath again. I can carry on for the next six days. No, Sunday should really be a culmination of everything that God's already doing. I was like, can you imagine what this room would look like if all of us were worshiping God long before we walked into this room? There's no warm-up. I, I, know, I know it's it's it's. it's it's a real thing because I've sat in many different ministries where sometimes the first song is like a throwaway song or it's a warm-up song. It's the, well, our people are cold and stale and they've got their coffee in their hands. So what's a song that like, I, uh, we like, but I'm just going to put it in the front because it's really going to build us time or warm them up to then, oh, we're worshiping Jesus now. And like, I get that it takes time. And I'm always going to facilitate time for worship in this room. But can you imagine what it would look like if every single one of us was already filled to the brim with Jesus, with the things that he's calling us to, with the promises that he's filling us up with, for the, with the joy that he places in our hearts when we start acknowledging him in all different areas of our lives outside of these four walls. Man, that is a powerful, powerful place is the place that I see us getting to, but we've got to do some work to put in the time. I wanted to set up apart some time as we to put some of these practices in motion, and I've actually got a list, and you can throw the list up. But there's a story in a historical event in, in Second Chronicles where there's a war that's won without any fighting. I was like, King Jehoshaphat is praying to God because he's worried about these, these other groups that are coming in to destroy them. And God, in his worship, has them fight each other. 
So they won, they win an entire war against three other groups that they've never fought. And it, it talks about all of the different actions and praises and worship. And these are really just 10 different words in Hebrew that, we've tr- that I've translated over. And they were different forms of physical worship. And they were all recorded in Second Chronicles in a war that they... And through worship, they won an entire war. Their whole lives, their whole trajectory of an entire nation was changed just because they knew to worship God with spirit, with truth on the inside, but they definitely reflected it in their actions, these habits. So there's a couple in here. I am not going to try to butcher these words because I do not speak Hebrew, but I know how to read the English to bow, to fall, to boast, to sing, to speak, to sing, to kneel, to hold out our hands. And I want to give us some time even now to respond to some of these things. These are the things that I'd love for us to see in our daily walks with Jesus. And maybe we're still working on it, right? I, I, saw, this, I saw this great illustration once where they were talking about the different types of worshipers. And there's the kinds that are like little tiny TV, I'm holding a big screen, field goal, etc. <laughs> But it still had some truth behind, like, you're not going to make a fool of yourself for no reason. But we've all done some crazy things for the people that we're devoted to. I've never knelt in front of a ton of people for anyone. But I did it for the person that my heart was pursuing. So if our heart is pursuing Jesus, we've got to make it a practice to, to live that out and express it to him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you and myself as well. Take us second to look at these words to stand to sing to speak these different actions and try to find the one that you've never found yourself doing it might be you've never just even stood or sang in in church you've never you've never knelt you've never spoken and i don't want these things to just become things we do on sunday like find the one that no one's going to see you do in your closet in your office away from everybody and it's a heart thing at that point. It's you and Jesus. I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. I'm not ever going to know you did it or not. So regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, I think we've all got a next step. And like I said, I want us to look at these actions and, and pinpoint the one that speaks to you. It's probably the one that makes you cringe a little bit. I'll be completely honest, as much as I've led worship, for me, because I, I started with me when I was looking through these words, I felt like to sing would be a kind of a cop-out. I was like, oh, <laughs> boom, easy. I'll pick that one. Something that I've noticed in worship all throughout the Bible, but especially in, in the story of Abraham and Isaac, is, which is one of the first times that worship is mentioned, is worship takes sacrifice. There is a cost to worship. And I truly felt convicted. I was like, there's no cost for me to sing because I sing well. Like it's, it becomes a pride thing. It becomes, I'm like, well, I could do this with my eyes closed. So singing doesn't feel like it's costing me anything. You know what truly felt like it was costing something to me? Getting on my knees. That felt like, oh, I've never really done that a lot. I was like, I feel really comfortable hiding behind a microphone or mostly hiding behind a guitar or an instrument because I don't have to be 100% committed to something that's going to cost me. So I'm challenging myself and challenge you, but find the one that's going to cost a little because it's in the things that we strive for that we grow in. 
And this is the things that we're going to put into to habits. And I'm, I'm going to call my friend Mike on is, is my buddy that was here on my right, and my sister was on my left, and I've got like a, a, a little brother in the family that was helping me out from so many years of worship and history, and, and I love them. So I'm grateful for them helping support me today because um, I don't typically bring the word. I don't typically bring the message, but I was excited for this one. So, so as they come up, I really wanted to just share why we need to do this as a church, and it was really simple. To worship really worship now that we know it is the heartbeat of a follower of Jesus. That's why worship's integrated into everything that we do because it's not about the singing. It's not about the the service. It's not about the moment. It's about the lifestyle that we live outside of here. And if we can get this right and we can start putting into practice what real worship looks like, I know that things will change and ultimately we will grow as believers in Jesus. We'll grow to be exactly what we wanted to when we committed our lives to follow him, just like the disciples did. Look at what they said. This is, this is following after Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He's been resurrected, and he's told the women to let the disciples know to meet me in Galilee. They have not seen him since he was put up on a cross and, and, and killed publicly. And look at their response when the, when the disciples met with him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. First thing. But some of them doubted. So Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age I do not want to teach us how to sing songs really nicely I don't want to only teach us how to clap on beat I don't want us to teach us how to just live freely in a moment I want to teach this church how to live freely every single day for the rest of our lives as we follow Jesus I highlighted the word therefore because even can you imagine being the disciples and you're seeing the man you saw crucified walking, breathing, talking, and they still doubted. They worshiped, which means they fell to their knees like, Lord, you are king. Oh my gosh, like you, like you are the king of, of this world. You are the savior. But they still doubted, and Jesus responded.